Psalm 103, would you stand with me as we read God's word? David says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now I'm going to stop right there for now. We're going to look at the rest of it in just a minute, but I'm going to do something that I rarely do as a pastor. I want you to share these words with me, and we're going to read them together. All right? Say this with me. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let me stop right there. Don't say this unless you mean it. And if you mean it, say it like you mean it. And don't say it to me, by the way. Say it to God. This is part of your worship. With all your heart, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your spirit now. Reveal your word to us. Psalm 103. Everything you want us to know from that psalm. May we be open to it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's message is entitled, The Blessings of a Gracious God. The Blessings of a Gracious God. Well, it's Thanksgiving again. How about that? I love Thanksgiving. This is my 25th Thanksgiving message to you. And as I sat down to write it, I thought, what could I possibly say that I haven't said 25 times already? But with Psalm 103, you just can't, you just can't mess it up. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful psalm it is. It's all about gratitude to God for his goodness. I like Thanksgiving because there's a simplicity to Thanksgiving. There's no lights to put up. There's no uh, gifts to exchange. It's basically just eating. <laughs> and, and we're good at that, amen? Uh, we get together we're thankful ever since the very first Thanksgiving because the Thanksgiving was basically a meal, a banquet that they had together. It's eating and it's fellowship. Fellowship with our family, fellowship with our friends, fellowship with our church family, and most importantly, fellowship with God. It's not that complicated, is it? We can do that. Speaking of which, it's not vital to simply have God in the mix somewhere there. On the contrary, to remember, he is the sole recipient of our thanksgiving. He's the sole recipient of our gratitude. Of course, that means for millions of Americans, thanksgiving is a somewhat awkward experience because they don't believe in God. They don't follow God, and yet they celebrate Thanksgiving, and I remember seeing in a few movies over the years that families get together and uh, these actors come together and it's time to pray over the Thanksgiving meal and it's just kind of an awkward moment because they don't know who to thank. <laughs> Isn't that odd? So Thanksgiving is a Christian holiday, which also brings us to even more of an awkward uh, celebration of Christmas because Christ is in Christmas and no matter how they desperately want to take him out, and they do because they protest nativity scenes on court, 
courthouse steps and that sort of thing. But Christmas is a Christian holiday and Thanksgiving is a Christian holiday as well because we are thanksgiving to God. That's what it is. So uh, always remember that. We don't want to put God in the mix somewhere. We want to be sure we are focused on thanking God for his blessings in our life. The ideal of being thankful. In Psalm 103, David knows who to thank. He knows our God is the giver of all good things. And he gives us six reasons in this brief passage, verse one through five, to thank God, to show gratitude to God. Now, after sitting down and thinking, I, don't, I have no idea how, how am I gonna preach another sermon on Thanksgiving without saying what I say every year, or, or that's a struggle of every pastor. God ended up giving me more than I could preach in one Sunday. So we're gonna look at the first three this week, and we're gonna look at the other three next week. Now, I could have crammed all six reasons in today, but I know you're hungry. And so out of, out of mercy to you, uh, split it up between two weeks. Amen? Amen? All right. With that, Psalm 103, we're going to look at verse 1 through 5. Turn there with me, if you would, as we read this. David says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Then he tells us what the benefits are. In verse 3, Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Wow, isn't that good? Isn't that just beautiful? So the first reason he gives us to be thankful is because God is the forgiver of sins. The first reason we should be thankful this Thanksgiving and every Thanksgiving is because God is the forgiver of sins. You have to notice that he puts that in there first. He doesn't stick it at the end or somewhere in the middle. He puts it in the beginning. There's a reason for that. Without forgiveness, the other five things wouldn't happen. It is Forgiveness that we need first and foremost and all the other things, all the other relationship with God, all the other blessings come as a consequence of the fact that we've been forgiven of our sins. Because for those out there in this world or in this room or watching on the line, if there's been no forgiveness of your sins, there will be no other blessings from God. You have to deal with the sins. God was so concerned about your sins and my sins that he sent Christ to down a cross for them. They're that important. David didn't understand all the details of the coming Messiah, although he was an ancestor of Jesus. But he did know that in a relationship with your creator, first and foremost, the sins have to be dealt with. And God is the one who forgives. He is the forgiver of sins. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins. In 3,000 years since this psalm was written, that fact has not changed. He is the one that forgives our sins. He is the only one. Our relationship with God is based on his forgiveness, and that forgiveness is through Christ. Do you need forgiveness today? I heard the story about a little boy named Johnny. He lived out on a, on a farm. 
and he had a slingshot. He got a new slingshot for his birthday, and he wanted to try out his slingshot, and he was practicing and practicing, and he wanted to, to hit something with his slingshot. So he started out, he tried to hit the dog with a rock with his slingshot. Of course, the dog ran out of the way, didn't even get close. So he tried to hit the cat and he even missed the cat by a greater distance. He became frustrated. So he went into the field to start looking for bigger animals and bigger targets that he could hit with his slingshot. So he tried everything he could find or everything, every animal he could find. He missed them all. He shot at a rabbit, missed. He shot at a bird, he missed the bird. And coming back into the farmyard, little Johnny saw his grandmother's favorite goose. And so he reared up his slingshot and shot at the goose. And to his surprise, he hit the goose right in the head and killed it immediately. Oh my goodness. He was deeply concerned. He was terrified because he knew his mother, his grandmother loved that goose. And yet he killed her favorite goose. So he ran to the tool shed, he found a shovel, and he took that goose behind the barn and buried it, uh, thinking that no one saw it, but his sister did. That evening at supper, uh, his grandmother said to Johnny's sister, Mary Lou, I want you to wash the dishes. And Mary Lou said, no, I, I think Johnny wants to wash the dishes. Then she whispered into her brother's ear, remember the goose. So Johnny washed the dishes that night because he was afraid that his sister would tell on him uh, about the goose. So the next morning, his grandmother asked Mary Lou to sweep the porch and the front sidewalk. And she said, no, Johnny wants to sweep the porch and the front sidewalk. And she whispered in Johnny's ear, remember the goose. All that week, she kept Johnny in bondage. Every time she had a job to do, she volunteered Johnny and whispered to him, remember the goose. When Johnny could take it no longer, he went to his grandmother crying, confessing to having killed her favorite goose. Then the grandmother said, I was standing at the kitchen window and I saw you hit the goose and kill it. And I saw how sorry you were. I could see the expression in your face. And I watched you get that shovel and take that goose out behind the barn and bury it. I knew the whole time. I said, she said, I, I want you to know, Johnny, I forgave you the moment that you did it. The question is, will you forgive yourself? And then she also added, I wondered how long your sister Mary Lou would keep you in bondage over that. <laughs> Your, bond, your life and my life is in bondage without forgiveness. We're just always wondering who's going to find out. Of course, God already knows. Like the grandmother, he's seen everything you've ever done. Every bad deed and every bad thought, God knows them all. And he sent Jesus to die for you because God desires for you and I to experience the freedom of forgiveness. Secondly, God is the healer of our diseases. He forgives all our sins and heals all of our diseases. Some translations will say iniquities. In the Bible, we call that synonymous parallelism. He says the same thing basically twice. 
But he does change the wording a little bit, and my translation actually says, uh, sins. He forgives all of our sins, and then he says he heals all of our diseases. Now, sin is certainly a can be seen as a disease, but I also think he's speaking more literally here. The NIV uses the word diseases. He forgives our sins and he heals our diseases. Now, listen to what I think he's saying. Our health, spiritually and physically, are ultimately in God's hands. Time has not changed that. David would have been shocked at the technology that we have today in our medical world, all of the scans that we can do and all the blood tests and the other tests that we can do. If you go into the hospital, you already know they poke you and prod you for days to do all of those tests and then you get the bill (laughs) for that advanced technology. But there are so many things that they can cure and treat today that they couldn't back then. They were really at the mercy of the hand of God But in the end today, in spite of all of our advancements, we're all going to die of something that cannot be healed from our technology. Ultimately, spiritually and physically, we are in the hands of God. James chapter 5, verse 13, James says this. Great passage, by the way. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? (laughs) That's a good question. I say that to Americans. Is anybody happy? (laughs) Well, let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Speaking of Christ. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, notice three different kinds of prayer in this passage. One is in verse 13, if any of one of you is in trouble, he should pray. Some of you need to pray because you're in trouble. You're in trouble. (laughs) And it may be financial problems. Or maybe you just messed up. You said something stupid to your wife or maybe to your husband, but probably it's your wife. (laughs) And you're in trouble and you need to ask for forgiveness. You should pray. You know, God allows us to do dumb things so that we'll seek him. And it's unfortunate that the only times that we tend to seek God the most is when we do something stupid. But uh, sometimes that's what it takes individually, by the way, and collectively as a country, we do dumb things. And God lets us do stupid things as a country, sometimes to bring us to our knees so that we'll seek him. Secondly, in verse 14 and 16, he says, is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him. And the third is in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may have healing. So this passage not only gives us some indication of how to pray, but also helps us determine when we are to pray. We're to pray when we're suffering. That's in verse 13. That is when we're in trouble. We're to pray when we have success, when we're happy. And certainly our Thanksgiving, whatever success you and I have had this year, we should thank God for that in this time of Thanksgiving. And third, 
we should pray when we have sickness. That's verse 14 and 15. And that's what we're going to talk about here in just a moment. And then we should pray when we have sin. Those four times to pray in our life are so vitally important. So we should pray when we are sick. That doesn't mean that we should ignore medical advice. Doesn't mean that we should reject medical treatment because I certainly believe that God works with the hands of doctors and surgeons. He'll use whoever he wants to use for his purposes. But in the end, it is all in God's hands and our prayers should acknowledge his sovereignty. Fellow church members, we should pray for one another. That's what James tells us. We should pray for each other, not just for our own healing, but for the healing of those that are around us. Church leaders, we should pray for whoever asks. And by the way, did you notice that James says that if you need prayer, if you need healing, go to the elders of your church. It doesn't say wait at home for that call from the elders. You, you guys call us, and some of you do. That's biblical. You call and say, Pastor, would you and the staff come and pray for me? Or would you and the deacons come and pray for me? And people have done that. And we have, as a deacon body, gone to people's homes and prayed over them for their healing. Now, God chooses, according to his own wisdom, when to, to heal physically and how much to heal physically. But he calls us to pray for one another and pray over one another for healing. Now, if God never heals, why would he say that? Well, he wouldn't. It was just a big waste of time. He would never say that. So that tells me that at least some of the time, God does choose to heal miraculously. That's the only way that God heals, by the way, is miraculously. There are a few things, having said that, that we need to know and remember about miracles. Number one, there are only certain periods in the Bible where we see a period of miracles. Not every time, not every age, not every generation in the Bible do we see miracles. Now, miracles may have happened, but we don't have them recorded in the Bible. We do see amazing miracles happening in the period of Moses, of Elijah, of Elisha, of Jesus in the New Testament, and of the apostles. Those periods of healing where there were just more than normal supernatural healings. And God did healings and miracles during those periods for very specific reasons, which tells us that God does not just randomly heal people. Obviously, we all die. Seven billion people, we're all going to die in the next hundred years. Uh, so there are times that God chooses not to heal people. But if he does heal you, you need to ask the question immediately, why? Those of you who have gone through cancer and you're in complete remission, you need to be asking God why. Because God healed you for a reason. He's not just, you know, in a good mood. So, okay, I'll, I'll heal this person or that person. God doesn't, he doesn't wing it. He has a purpose and a reason for that. So ask why. It's very important. God has a purpose for you to be healed and so you want to be sure to ask. There were only certain periods that he did that, and he did it for a reason. Secondly, always remember that miracles, real miracles, are always the act of God, not of man. That's what makes them a miracle. If you and I can do it, that's clever. It's not a miracle. Miracles are always and only an act of God. 
Which also tells me, by the way, I kind of say this. I think we have to be careful not to call everything a miracle. My kid got an A in, in English class. It's a miracle. <laughs> well, probably not. I don't, I don't know your kid. Maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe God intervened. But we have to be careful not to call everything a miracle because a miracle is something that is supernaturally the hand of God. God has directly intervened. It is beyond human ability. That's a miracle. Number three, miracles happen according to God's timing, not to man, uh, according to man's. It's according to God's timing, not according to man's timing. And I've had uh, several run-ins with God over this <laughs> because my timing, I keep trying to enlighten God as to my perfect timing. And he says, no, no, we're not gonna do that. Uh, God's got his own timing and his timing actually is perfect. And God will do what he wants to do and what he chooses to do in his own way and his own time. I prefer that God would heal me on the day that I get sick. <laughs> that first prognosis, five minutes later, healing. That would be awesome. Sometimes God chooses to do things, but he does it on his own timing. Um, uh, next, miracles demonstrate the love and the compassion of God. God never heals people because he hates you. On the contrary, you'd think I would just go without saying, but there's a lot of confusion. The reason that God heals you when he does heal you is because he loves you. If God doesn't heal you, he still loves you. It is a demonstration of his compassion and his love. Um, there is one word of warning here, and we have to be very careful about this. This is a problem in our world today with our understanding of miracles. Sometimes the miracles become more important than God. This happened in the Bible too. People focus on the miracle and they lose focus on God. That is, our faith in its entirety becomes all about the miracle. And I've had this happen. People don't grace the doors of the church for years or decades, but then they get sick or a loved one gets sick and then they start coming every Sunday because they're praying and asking God for a miracle. And then God gives the miracle or he doesn't give the miracle. Either way, whether it's yes or no, we never see them again. You have to be careful. Your faith in God is it cannot be miracle-based because that's not how faith works. That's not how a relationship with God works. It's like if you marry somebody because you want something and you no longer get that, then you just get a divorce because that's the only reason you got married. If you marry somebody because they have a bunch of money and then you go broke, well, you will find somebody else. That's that's not why you get married. That's a terrible reason. There are a lot of bad reasons to get married. That's not the, it's a, the bad reasons to have a relationship with God. If it's just because you want something, one particular thing, and when it's done, you're done with God. So you have to be careful about that. Notice, remember, Paul asked for healing from God three times. God chose not to heal the apostle Paul. But you didn't see Paul throw his hands up and go, I'm out, I'm done, <laughs> Thank goodness he didn't, thank God he didn't say that. Isn't that true? 
God still loved him. He knew he was loved by God, still had a purpose from God, even though God chose at that time not to heal him. We see this when Jesus fed the multitudes. He fed 5,000 plus their families, and then he fed 4,000 on another occasion plus their families. So he, he fed a lot of people. The problem was the crowds kept coming bigger and bigger because everybody wanted a show. They wanted to see the miracle and get free lunch as well. You know, first, first entry Chick-fil-A, it was fish filet. And they, wa they, wanted the, they wanted the food in the show. And Jesus realized, they're not even looking at me. They're just here for the free meal. And he stopped doing those miracles. Isn't that interesting? We can get confused about those miracles. The third thing that you need to see today is that God not only forgives our sins and heals our diseases, but he redeems our life from the pit. Did you see that? Catch that? That's verse four. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who redeems your life from the pit. To redeem means to purchase your life from the pit. In other words, simply saying he gets you out of the pit. He gets you out of pits that you can't get yourself out of. He redeems our life from the pit. I told you Charles Dickens famously said it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. We think of the best of the times, but the worst of the times, eh. There's a very similar thing that I say when I marry people. I performed weddings and <clears throat> as a part of the vows, <clears throat> I didn't make them, uh, I just repeat them. I'll say, for better or for worse, repeat after me, for better or for worse. And they say for better and they say for worse. I think they say that with the assumption that it's mostly going to be better. <clears throat> Any of you who've been married for very long know that that's just not true. There's better and there's worse. And sometimes there's a, it's really better. You're on cloud nine, you know, usually the first week or so. And sometimes there's the worst, and sometimes it's really bad. You just want to pull your hair out. And, and, and that's life, that's relationships, and that's marriage. And so we say that for better or for worse. Well, life is that way. And sometimes you're on cloud nine in your life and in your walk with God, and sometimes you're in the pit. Now, sometimes we, we, we don't fall in the pit. Sometimes we jump in the pit. We dive in head first. Ooh, a pit. <laughs> yeah, this would be a good idea. Yeah, I need that new Ferrari, even though I, you know, have a blue collar job. Just jump right in. You know, I don't know what a new Ferrari costs. Or excuse me, let me, let me apply it to you. That new pickup. Now, <clears throat> you know, there, I, I, Cherry and I were at the Texas uh, uh, thing. What do they call it? Yeah, no, the, the, uh, the thing with the, with the cowboy, the seat fair, thank you. <laughs> and so, sorry, sorry, Lord, I forgot. The, the state fair of Texas with big tax and we go into this car show and there's a pickup there and I don't notice pickups a lot. I'm not a pickup guy, but I did notice this pickup and I looked at the sticker and it was $105,000 for a pickup. And that's not unusual, by the way. I've learned that it's common for a pickup to be 80, 90, or $100,000. And some of you are sitting there quietly because you bought one. <laughs> You're going, where's he going with this? <laughs> right, it's a work truck, yeah. <laughs> you need that for your work. Yeah, okay, all right. So, 
where was I? Where was I? What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. You, yeah, payments, you can't afford them. And financially, you just get in a pit. And so sometimes we fall into the pit. Sometimes we jump into the pit. Sometimes we dig our own pit. We dig it and then we jump in it. So sometimes it's the best of times, sometimes it's the worst of times, and sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's not. But there is, when you're in the pit, a sense of hopelessness and despair that can be overwhelming to us when we find ourselves in the pit. David knew what it was like to be in the pit. Now, in David's case, there was a time where he did not make his own pit, He ran from Saul for 10 years. 10 years, he lived in caves. In caves for 10 years. Can you imagine that? We gloss that over in his life, but I guarantee David remembered those 10 long agonizing years as he ran from Saul. And he was doing exactly what God called him to do, and yet he was in the pit. Then there were times where he made his own pit and jumped right in his affair with Bathsheba. And then he murdered her husband to cover it all up. And he was in a pit right there. And he knew that was of his own making. But his life was miserable nonetheless. Given victory over the pit, he wrote Psalm 40, chapter two, uh, verse 2. He says this, He lifted me, speaking of God, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He says, God brought me out of the pit. I want you to know if you're in the pit today, whether it's self-inflicted or not, God wants to help you out of that pit. There's not a single time in the Bible where God says, I want you in a pit. I want you to live in the pit. I want you to stay in the pit. He never says that. God's desire for you is to redeem your life from the pit if you let him. So today, when God redeems you from the pit, celebrate that. This year, in the last few years, in this passage of your life or this part of your life, if God has redeemed your life from the pit, you better celebrate that. Don't just eat the food and go home. Celebrate God's redemption from the pit. Thank him. Billy Graham once told of a friend who went through the Great Depression. He lost his job, he lost a fortune, he lost his wife, and he lost his home. He was a believer in Christ, though, and tenaciously held to his faith, even though he was naturally depressed and downcast from the circumstances of losing everything in his life. One day, in the midst of his depression, he stopped to watch some men that were working uh, on stonework for a church there in the city. One was busy chiseling a triangular piece of stone, and he said, what are you going to do with that triangular piece? He couldn't see anywhere on the wall that was supposed to go. And the guy pointed up to the spire, and he says, well, I'm making this piece down here so that I can put it up there. And there was one specific place, and he could see it up on the spire, that that little triangular piece would just fit, but he was making it down there so they could put it up there. And he said that was a profound moment. He walked away realizing that God had placed him in this pit of his life, but he was molding him and making him for something special in the future. 
Now, this may be the best year of your life. It may have been the worst year, but I want you to know God can use either way for something wonderful in the future. Watch this brief clip. Sometimes it's hard finding thankfulness. With all the struggles, the visions, the anger often hidden deep within us. Too often life begins to drain the joy, distress, destroy the deafening noise, shuts out the voice of God. We walk our road, we wander our path, setting the tone, watching our steps right and left, every breath spent, longing for the next big thing. But what if we could give thanks in the little things? The small victories, the tiniest dreams that seem to feed our soul. The moments where the promise of God to never leave or move on to care and to love becomes undeniable. Finding gratitude every day, this, this is where thankfulness begins. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases, who redeems our life from the pit. Today, be thankful. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge that sometimes we are in the pit. For some, today is that day. This year was that year. And regardless of how we got in the pit or whether we dug it ourselves, whether we fell in or jumped in, everybody's life spends time in the pit. There's not a single person that you created in the Old Testament or the New that didn't find themselves in a pit. Jesus, on the night of his mock trials before his crucifixion, was literally placed in a pit. We recognize that when he cried out to you on the cross and he quoted Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he felt that separation and yet anticipated that victory in the minutes to come. Paul knew what it was like to be in the pit. And yet he found himself on a, a ship as a prisoner in the middle of a storm, 
and the ship was sinking and everyone is panicking. And he encouraged them all and told them to take some food because they hadn't eaten in days. He said, take what food there is. And then Paul held up the food and he thanked you in the middle of a storm. And he knew they were about to crash. He'd already told them they were all gonna crash, but that you were gonna spare their lives and not one man died. Spared them all. And in the midst of that, he was able to give you thanksgiving. So Father, in the middle of our life, in the middle of our challenges, in the middle of our storms, we say thank you. Even if we're in the pit, thank you. For those of us who are not on the pit, we're on solid ground, as David said, or we're on the mountain high right now, the happiest time of our life. We are so blessed and we know it. We should thank you. We ask for forgiveness of our sins right now in the name of Jesus, through his blood, for everything in our life that separates us, that pulls us down, away from you. Forgive us. We have done things this year, said things, thought things, acted in a way that dishonored you. For every time we, <clears throat> we lost our cool when we're driving or with our family. <clears throat> For every incident where we thought of ourselves and not of others. Forgive us. For all those occasions where we did not thank you for all the good things in our life. You took care of us. You met that need. And we just went on about our business and didn't give you a thought. Forgive us. Right now, Father, we ask for forgiveness. For those thoughts that we've had and those things that we've done that just express hatred. Because there is so much hatred in this world. In this country. We see it on the news every day. And sometimes we get caught up in that hatred. Forgive us. <clears throat> Your word tells us to even love our enemies. Forgive us for our hatred. Father, for every good thing, you deserve our praise. When you're praying, no one's looking around right now. Can I challenge you to spend just a few moments? Don't, don't just throw it into a lunch prayer. Do it now. Spend a few moments thanking God for every good thing in our life this year. Would you be willing to do that? Would you stand? No one's looking around. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, as you're praying, everyone stand. And as you stand, maybe you just want to come down and kneel right here and on your knees say, God, thank you for redeeming my life from the pit. Thank you for the forgiveness from Christ. Thank you for healing me on that time that I needed healing. Thank you. Will you thank him today? Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church or you want to make a public decision to accept Christ or you just want to come and pray. Right now, this invitation is for you. You come.